On this episode, Carl enjoys a brisk digger station. We talk about the footy, no noise or noise. I go to Mario's. Carl watches Hearts and Bones. I watch yet again another documentary on Lance Armstrong, but I recommend it. Carl watches Warwick Thornton's The Beach. We talk about the Jazz Lab. All this on this episode of The Clappers. Oh, you're a pro. (laughs) Eventually. (laughs) Hello, Andrew Young. Here we are. Welcome to The Clappers. This is Andrew Young. And this is Carl Quinn. How are you enjoying the uh, little freedoms that we're now being allowed in the borough? Oh, Andrew, went out to dinner. Um, I knew you would. I knew that'd be the first thing you'd do. Well, actually, it wasn't. The first thing I did is I went out for a coffee. Two days later, um, my wife and I went out to dinner at um, a, another local restaurant and with a couple of friends and 6, 6 p.m. booking um, out by 8.15. We had a seven-course station. <laughs> it, it was insane. It was like, so it was a Henry VIII-style <laughs> meal, was it? Just <laughs> You'd have a bite thrown over your shoulder. Food in each hand, yeah. pouring a flagon down your throat. <laughs> More mead! More mead! <laughs> It was surprisingly really good, um, and uh, and then that wait, was, wait wait wait. It was the food was surprising. No no, the food goodness, was great. Or the experience was the experience. Surprising. It was, it mm. didn't feel too rushed. I mean, the idea that you know you were doing this kind of and it was matched wines as well. Having this like intense foodie experience, but it was in two hours and fifteen minutes. It was kind of enough, you know. Mm. It didn't quite sort of linger as much as you might have conversationally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was How would you normally how much time would you normally spend on oh, a I don't know, station? maybe maybe three, three and a half, four hours, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, it can yeah, it can be like, like a whole evening, you know, mm. pretty much. But um you know that was fine. That was absolutely fine. And uh you know my wife writes about food. She was so excited to be back mm. in a restaurant and sure? to be engaging in that kind of experience. Um, she said afterwards that she thought it was a bit too quick, but you know, I, mm. you know it's fine by me. Sure, if, if there'd been you know, if there'd been footy on that night, we could have come home and watched the footy afterwards. You know, yes. Um, Did you watch any footy this week? I watched a little bit. I watched a little bit of the um, uh, the Richmond. Um, Collingwood game on the Thursday night. I loved how shocked everybody. Well, this has changed. We're going to have to change everything now. We're going to have to. We're going to have to make them tired. We're going to have to make it. It's so. It's terrible. Everybody was in an uproar that there would never be a, a score over fifty points again. And then the next night, Geelong versus Hawthorne. Well, we don't have to worry about the scores there, do we? It's a traditional type of score that every Geelong supporter loves. Oh uh, yes. Um, well, it was interesting that that first game was like the lowest scoring game of the century um, <laughs> and it being ascribed to shorter quarters and a whole range of things. I, I don't know. Sometimes games are just low scoring, I guess, you know. Yeah, um, I, I didn't, didn't bother me. What I, did I you think about the, the last crowd noise? That's... Well, I think, now I've a, I, I'm glad you asked me this question because if you hadn't asked me, I would have asked you this just, question. Just call me Dorothy. Dorothy okay. Dicks. <laughs> I firstly, I, I was perturbed by footballers 
some, you know, when, when asked about what, what, you know, you're going to eventually come back to playing football, but we're not going to have any crowds, whining like the lead singer of some boy band that they can't do it, they can't get themselves up on stage without having screaming adoration <laughs> from hundreds of thousands of fans, that it's just not fair to be expected to perform in that kind of environment. And I thought, are you kidding me? Surely the big paycheck you get is the only reason you need to pull on those boots. But if you need others, what about playing really good football and impressing your fellow teammates with your skills? Surely that's another good reason. Do you really, really need all that nonsense and noise and people screaming out your name every time you do something? I, I Frankly, I, I have nothing but contempt for people like that in my own line of work and in the football world. I would love these games to be played with no crowd noise. Well... In, uh- in monastic silence, where even even the umpires aren't speaking, just a few coded blows on the whistle and some hand signals. Some, That's how I want some to see Oz, football. Oslan on the sidelines. Yeah, special and, comments by. And some. I reckon it would be it would be better. I reckon once people got used to the fact that you're not hearing all this. And then you're just, you've just got the pure game of football itself. Man, I reckon you'd even get some new fans. I, I, I would love this. Just do one. Just see. Okay, we've, we've done the fake. Let's do the real. I have actually... Uh, well, I think the weekend, the first round was without crowd noise. So we have seen it. Um, and I would also... I recall that before we went into shutdown, the last time I saw my, my soccer team, Manchester United, playing was in a Europa League game and it was in an empty stadium. Well, empty except for a couple of hundred people. And <laughs> uh, it was it was a bizarre experience. I mean, it really was quite weird watching a game played at that level mm. uh, with no no crowd noise. To speak did you like with. it? I found it strange. I mean, did I, did I dislike it? No, but I do think that the crowd... Um, the, the crowd aspect brings a hell of a lot to the experience of watching live sport, particularly, I think, um, watching uh, Premier League soccer uh, yeah. where, you know, the, the singing and the crowd noises are, you know, depends on where the games are being played, but it's a very important part of the experience, I think. And I think in AFL, because I think be, because there are so many flashpoints in AFL, you know, like a tackle can spark crowd noise, uh, you know, uh, an alleged, you know, being caught in possession can spark a, a crowd noise. You know, there's, there's so many sort of Don't moments. stop there. Don't stop there. Goals, you know, whatever. I mean, <laughs> the, the, there's so much that... that you know, you know what I mean. It's like I do. I absolutely. I go AFL to has and lots the, and lots of trigger moments. I it's mean, one as of the only environments to, where I like to be in a crowd. Actually, right, right, is right, that right. the football? Yeah, I like it. And but, I think it's a really, it's a really powerful part of the experience, and and what makes it enjoyable and feel like something quite special. So I think taking the crowd noise away definitely robs it of something. Um, it doesn't mean it's completely meaningless, but it, see, it is different. You say rob. Yeah. I say flens. <laughs> now, if listeners to the clappers don't know what the word flens means, I urge you to pick up a, a little-known tome by Herman Melville called Moby Dick, where much of the uh, craft of whaling is explained, and flensing is a part of what happens when you've brought the whale uh, aboard the ship. So... You can look that up. That'll be a little project for the listener to do. <laughs> you do blubber on a bit, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well said, that man. Oh, dear. Um, so, what have you been up to? Well, I've done a couple of things that, one of which I, I do as often as I can, one of which I never, ever, ever do and was very happy to do so. Uh, we'll, we'll take part B first. I went to Mario's today. Oh, yes. 
And I went in the door and I sat down after being, you know, you you have to wait and they, you know, they lead you. You don't just sit down on your own. Mario's, geez. And I bought something to eat and something to drink. Now, even in the the non-COVID times, this is something I rarely do, go (laughs) to a cafe and have something to eat or drink. And as listeners to this program will know, I feel a certain sense of duty towards Mario's, uh, uh, having taken advantage in every sense of that term of their uh, prices at 1986 level or whatever it was, uh, three times. So I was happy to pay full price for some food and drink today at Mario's and it was everything that, that the customer to Mario's would expect. It was The food was great and it was hot. The coffee was strong and excellent, though I did deliberately upset them by asking for a flat white with soy. And as anybody who has been to Mario's over the past 30 years knows that they despise people who drink coffee with soy milk. I, I do, as a rule, but even if I didn't, I would ask just to upset them. And I upset the... Uh, Rather unfriendly member of the wait staff who took my coffee order and I listened to her repeat it at least three times to the person who was making the coffee. Yes, it's, he said soy. He wants it with it's, soy. It's very quiet because there's not many people. Like all the restaurants, they're only allowing uh-huh. a few people in at a time. And it was, one, not necessary to repeat that and two, not necessary to repeat it at that volume with that tone. But that's what you that's, – that's part of going to Mario's. The, the, you'll have a friendly person and you'll have an unfriendly person. I have uh-huh. one of each. And it Good waiter, out. bad waiter. They do that old routine. <laughs> it balanced out really nicely. Of course, Red Simons came in the moment I sat down, which is something that he always does. Um, he waits for you to show up. And he, then he sees me. In. He sees yeah. me there. And I tell you, I can't think of a, what, the last time I sat in the window of a place to eat in Brunswick Street must have been like 1991 or 1992 or something. Um, my notoriety is such that I, I, I just can't put myself in the window. People start coming in, they, they make faces, they joke, josh around, they embarrass me. Uh, so I like to sit away from the window as a general rule. But I, was, I had such a good time. It's like 20 minutes of just sitting there looking out the window at a street that is now mainly for lease. Uh, it was great. I really enjoyed myself in a, in a rare way. I may even do it again sometime soon. It worked out so well. Very good, very good. Uh, a thing I, I, I normally do in normal times is play records, as you know. And the record shop, Northside Records, has just started doing these Saturday night things where uh, their staff members, who are also radio announcers at the radio station where I have a show, PBS, uh, play records from the shop. And, and the shop's open and people come in, they dance, they buy records. It's a wonderful atmosphere. And uh, I did that on Saturday night, played a, a set. But, of course, everything that could possibly go wrong with a live stream adventure did, from internet problems, from latency, archiving, stream, everything went wrong. Um, there are little sort of sta- spasms of it available to be seen, but the, it wasn't the, the, the best, but that's part of, you know, attempting to do something strange, different and new, and I'm sure next Saturday it'll be even better. But it was so good to get out into the world. I've not been in the world in that sense, playing records or, or playing gigs of any sort. And it was great just to be standing in the window of a shop playing records and people coming by and waving and people taking selfies of themselves in front of the window with me behind. But, of course, the flash on the camera would render everything gone. But that's beside the point. It was really fun. I had really – it was like I went out, you know, yeah. kind of did a gig. It was fun. Kind of. 
kind of. Yeah. A gig, in a, a gig in a fishbowl, kind of. Yeah, thing. a fishbowl yeah. gig, but yeah. it was great. And uh, uh, if people like music, they should go to the uh, Northside Facebook page and then they can find out uh, how to watch the next one next Saturday night. Soon enough, people are going to be able to go out and see movies. It's uh, Cinemas are opening up on June 22. Then I think probably some of the majors will be on from July 2 and um, we're going to start seeing films being released again, which is uh, quite remarkable. I mean, it, that's, it, that's uh, been a problem, hasn't it, for yeah. the people who uh, own cinemas? They they need the new stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's weird because there's been, obviously, there's been a bunch of films that have been released on um, streaming or various, you know, uh, I guess what you call it, um, premium video on demand or video on demand uh, or streaming Well, the Sydney platforms. Film Festival's done something like that, hasn't <laughs> the it? The Sydney Film Festival has and the Melbourne Film Festival will and... Mm. A I might bunch do of it. The films, a bunch of the films that have been released uh, in this interim space will suddenly be in cinemas as well on June twenty-two. So, um, or July two, depending on uh, which which uh, circuit they're on. But um, one of the films I saw just on the weekend was Hearts and Bones, which is uh, directed by. <gasps> Ben Lawrence that played at um, Sydney uh, at Melbourne Film Festival and Sydney Film Festival last year. I didn't catch it there. Um, I finally did see it. I really, really liked this film. Have you seen mm. it? I photograph what my conscience asks me to. He asked me not to exhibit photos of his village. Why? His family died in the massacre there. No, I've heard of it though. I read, I, I, I read something. Or I, is he Ray Lawrence's son? He is. He's the son of Ray yeah. Lawrence. He made a documentary yeah. called Ghost Hunter, which came out in 2018. Really, um, really impressive piece of work that that was. This isn't a doco. This is a, a narrative feature. It's about a, a war photographer played by um, Hugo Weaving who has come back to Australia and he's about to have an exhibition that. Um, you know, a gallery wants to put on. He's a bit reluctant about the whole thing. It means having to trawl through his uh, his, his negatives and find the photos that, that are going to be selected for the, for this exhibition. Um, he's interviewed on radio, and this taxi driver who is from um, South Sudan uh, hears him on the radio and wants to make contact because he's you know um, he's photographed in his in his country. And anyway, it turns out that there is a connection there between them um, from the past. Um, so Sebastian is a taxi driver. A sinister connection? Not sinister, but um, loaded, um, mm. complex and loaded. And uh, Sebastian, the taxi driver, is played by a guy called Andrew Lurie, who is a non-actor, um, who basically was drafted into this role, saw a lot of parallels in his own life. And he's just hes so great in this film, just very, very quiet um, bring you know brings a lot of dignity, but also a lot of sort of pain to the to the role. And Hugo Weaving uh, is basically playing a guy who has very uh, severe PTSD, um, which he hasn't yep. dealt with, uh, isn't willing to deal with. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this about how men deal with um, trauma or difficulties by throwing themselves into work, that that becomes mm. an outlet for them. Um, it's just a really it's just a really smart thoughtful considered film um and I, I really recommend it i think it's it's well worth uh checking out it it's as i say it's on the various streaming um or i, I shouldn't say streaming more sell through kind of platforms although i think it is on foxtel um as well so that is oh actually... good i've still got well, another go how many days out. left 
I've got 14 days left. Right. And I've just noticed that I've been offered another free month. Really? Well, take what it about up. that? Take it up. Take it up. They must be. I tell you, Fox is listening to the clappers and they're hearing me <laughs> and they're hearing me watching Fox product and they're thinking, we can't lose this man. <laughs> This man is vital. We've lost Disney. He's we've the lost only, HBO. He's the only new subscriber we've landed in it's, three it's all years. We've got. He's all we've got. <laughs> we've, we've, I mean, we've, we've got their binge and their KO now. I've taken their, their – like there's not going to be much left of actual it, it's a very there. It's a very interesting thing they're doing, which is to, you know, hive off various bits. I mean, not hive off because you can still get them on the platform, obviously. Oh, can you? Okay, yeah, yeah, I, wasn't, but, I haven't but, really investigated yeah, that. Yeah, well, that's right. Uh, you can have your – your full premium package on Foxtel, which will cost you about 140 bucks a, uh, a month. Um, and the, believe it or not, there are some idiots who still have that. Yes, yes that, I know. That was my, I, that was I, my I hand. Put your hand down, Carl. Put your hand identifies down. himself with the uh, perpendicular <coughs> yes. pronoun. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you can you can take out the sports package on KO for I think it's 25 bucks a month. Um, mm-hmm. You could take out the Foxtel. That's good, though. That's Foxtel good if you want to watch AFL. Go, I think, was probably from about 25, I think, or thereabouts a month, and that would give you a whole bunch of other stuff. I don't know what's going to happen to that now with Binge coming because Binge will presumably supplant a lot of that stuff or at least duplicate it. But, you know, That's it's series, it's, I think, Binge is, is yeah, all TV yeah. series. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of cheaper ways to access that content through sort of ancillary um, Foxtel mm. platforms now. You kind of go... Who's going to be left except for those dummies who've got bundles or whatever? Or, you know, I don't know. I don't know who's going to be left apart from me. You, mate. It's going to be <laughs> you. Me. They're going to be sending somebody around, okay, with a with a, a letter of thanks from the big man. And a care so, package, a weekly care package, just to make sure I keep it up. <laughs> we just want you to know that everybody up here in our uh, in New York is really happy with your work, okay? We read your stuff. We think it's great. And and just we we, uh, we really respect. We don't, we don't what even you're doing. care that you keep saying succession is about the Murdochs. We don't care. We don't care, man. Like just, <laughs> just keep paying monthly. That's all. That's all that matters. <laughs> on on Foxtel. <laughs> on Foxtel, there's the, uh, don't ask me which channel. I mean, you don't need to know. You can just type it in the search thing. There is, believe it or not, a new documentary about Lance Armstrong. And you would think, is there anything new about this story that, that, that people who have, have read the books and have seen the other documentaries, have seen the, the film by Stephen Frears, uh, is it with Ben Foster, is anything else? Well, yes, believe it or not, it is, it is like a drug. Which uh, one is this? Which, it's, which is it's, it's, called, it's called Lance. Yep. It's a two-part documentary. And it's him now talking with what to most people would be an astonishing level of hubris and lack of remorse and arrogance about himself now, then and always. And it, you can't tear your eyes away from it. It is absolutely amazing. I mean, there's, there's not so much new information, but his current insights are different than his previous insights. And it is... It is I suppose people would use the phrase car crash or train crash viewing because it's something that is uh, ghastly and, and disgraceful and you can't tear your eyes away from it. Right, it, it, right. it absolutely... Someone like me who's been... who has hoovered up everything about the sport itself but also about this particular athlete that is going and I still 
can't believe that there's more more to, to, to read, see, hear and learn. It's absolutely fascinating. And like like a lot of things, I don't think this is something that you need to be at all interested in uh, sport or cycling or it's just completely compelling if you're interested in uh, hubris or tragedy or um, power, then it is absolutely compelling. They're about, I don't know, an hour and 15 minutes or something. It's an odd amount of time long. Uh, but the, And there's two of them and completely uh, just amazing. So it's 30 uh, for 30, which is the ESPN um, documentary series. Um, I think it, they've been made as part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Well, I might check it out. Uh, look, I'm not saying that you should because you've probably had to wade through a bit of uh, Lance Armstrong stuff and, and not... I haven't. You know, I, I've, oh, actually, I've oh. actually managed to uh, return positive tests on a lack of Lance Armstrong <laughs> in my system. I, there I, was I, no Lance Armstrong in your system? No, Are you no, serious? No, I I, no I, and that was all my own. It was all my own. I didn't have to buy any on the black market. It was all, yeah. I, 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 look, I came I up clean. To... I would never want to – I'm happy to tell the listeners what they should do, but I would never want to tell you that you should do something or read or see or hear anything. I would never never want to do that. I'm a changed man. Uh, but I would be – should you – COVID lockdown has been good for you. Should you find that you have the intestinal fortitude to, to watch this, I would be really interested to know what you thought about it. We, in a private sense, we don't have to talk about it again on the, on the podcast, but I'd be very interested to know what you think about this having being somewhat untainted by the great man. Um, if I were to start with this, would it make sense to me? It would. It, yeah, uh, okay. okay, well, you know the basics. You yeah, know, of course. Lance yeah, Armstrong yeah. was a successful racing cyclist. No, you don't, you don't, don't have to do that. I just mean if I'm going to start yeah. with one Lance Armstrong thing and I chose it to be this, would it make mm. sense or would I be mm. better off mm. starting somewhere else? I think I think it would, but then I've got so much in my head. Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you what, I'll ask somebody who knows not as much as me. And, 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 well, that could and be I'll just say, about anybody, really, couldn't yeah, it? I'll, I'll, I'll just pull up <laughs> on any uh, subject. <laughs> I'll just pull. I'll just, just pull up outside a police station. Sorry, I sounded like I was mocking there. No, 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 that's fine. Um, no, no, I'll, 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 I'll think on it, and I'll let you know if this is the, the place to start. I think it could. I think it well could be the place to start, but, but, but if not, I will let you know. Okay. All right. Well, I've just um, watched. Warwick Thornton's series, The Beach, on SBS On Demand. He is a cinematographer as well as a director and and writer. Um, Mm -hmm. He didn't write Sweet Country, but um, I think he wrote Samson and Delilah, if I remember correctly. Um, He's got a beautiful, beautiful eye. Like The framing and the the lighting in his work is is just gorgeous. This is a six-part, six-times-half-hour documentary series... Okay. Um, and and I'm every every kind of thing I say that's describing this, I'm going to sort of put in brackets a little bit because it's a documentary series, sort of. Um, he didn't shoot this; his son did, Dylan River, mm-hmm. who is also a cinematographer, shot this, and uh, Warwick directed it. Warwick is the subject of it, or at least he's the only human character in it. Um, and it's basically he goes to a remote corrugated iron shed on a little mound of sand 
uh, on the Dampier Peninsula in Western Australia. And he holds up there for who knows how long with three chooks, which he keeps in a coop outside the shed. Um, some very, very old-fashioned rudimentary cooking equipment and some jars of herbs and spices and oils and things. Um, and he's got a he's got sort of like a three-pronged fishing spear. Uh, he's got a fishing net and he goes out and tries to hunt and find food and cook it. Uh, he cooks it in, in his shed. Um, and it's... It is sort of like a cooking show and it's sort of like a travel show and it's sort of not either of those things. It's a meditation upon isolation and the and and the environment and the healing power thereof. And it's a really, really beautiful piece of work that I can't quite say I understand. You know, it's something that's a little bit a little bit slippery. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay mm. with not quite getting it. Um, mm. I think I'm. I think I mostly get it. But I mean, I, I get it enough anyway that I, I can walk away and go. I'm really glad I spent three hours watching this very very slow piece of TV that doesn't really have a story. Doesn't really have uh, a clear sort of identity. It's just this thing that is really wonderful to watch. So it's on SPS on demand. It was originally commissioned for NITV, which is yeah. the um, you know the Indigenous TV network. But SBS, I think, senior management kind of saw what they were getting and went, "We've got to put this on the main channel because it is a spectacular." So it went out on NITV and on SBS. Ah, good. And good. I was going to say that would be demand. a shame if they took it off NITV because yeah, w- they thought it might be popular. Exactly. That would have been a very b- <laughs> a bad look. A bad, bad move. Yeah. But I think, I think rather than doing that, rather than taking it away from, you know, that space over there to put it on this space, they've put it out in multiple spaces simultaneously. I want to finish up by saying that the 22nd, of June is not just significant for people who enjoy sitting in a dark room with nobody else around them. The Jazz Lab is one of the only venues that is opening up for gigs with bands playing every single night from the 22nd. I would say that it is very restricted. I don't don't know what the number is of people being allowed in there, but it starts on the 22nd with uh, Andrew Keller, Julian Wilson and Sam Anning and it continues throughout that week and all the weeks to come with some stellar artists here residing in Melbourne and it'll be your first chance to see any of them in a long time. It's been three months or so since gigs have happened and these gigs are happening. I did a quick survey of a lot of the venues that I normally play at or, or visit as a punter and they're all still shut. Right. Some of their web pages are sadly just a blank page. Mm. It's it's really difficult times. You know, I, I wrote a couple of letters to say, well, come on, what are you doing, members? And I did get one back from my local, my state member, not from my federal member, which is, which is great. Uh, it's really hard times for... The Australian musicians, Australian venues, and our ones here in Melbourne, if we can support them, any of the ones that open up, they're all doing early nights. Mm. They're all starting at like 7.30, 8 o'clock. Well, I think that's so they can have multiple um, yeah. rounds, right? 
Well, some venues are planning on doing two and, and three sittings. Yep. Cherry Bar is doing that. Yep. Is, is, that's also opening up soon with, with three sittings. Like, so you wait downstairs and then you go up and, and they, you know, move them around. But uh, And this venue is doing, uh, I think, double sittings on weekends. But during the week, it's just doing the one the one sitting. Uh, it's good because if you're a public transport user, it means that you can get in and out and you know, use the bus or, or the tram, as it were, without it being too late. Where so, is Jazz Lab? Jazz Lab is in Brunswick, okay? It's – I caught the train there once, actually. It's whatever train goes up along um, Sydney Road, you can get that train and you can get it's off – the up, up way uh, – up, upfield, upfield line, sorry. Yeah, yep, feel like you can get off the train and it's a five-minute walk. And there's also a bus – that goes there too. Right. So it, it is well served by public transport. So how, how big is the room? I mean, would, it, would you ordinarily be able to fit a couple of hundred people? You would. Okay. You would only fit, I reckon you'd ordinarily fit 150. Okay. okay. So it, my guess then would be, I think from June 22, they've got a 50 people cap. Um, I think it'll be less, still, Carl. Still I think four it, square metres. So Yeah, I, I think you're probably going to be looking at 2025. And so I, I urge people, if they go to the... Oh, forgive me if they go to the Jazz Lab website and see anything that they like, and there's, there's lots of great stuff happening there, but they should do it now. You don't want to turn up at the door <laughs> and say, sorry, we're, we've got our max and yeah, you have yeah. to go home. So you can, buy the, you can buy your tickets now. So if there's anything that you like coming up, then that's that's the way to do it. Normally, I'm am a turn up on the night type person. I yeah. never like to buy. Well, things, I think but... that's that's something that's uh, at least for the short to medium term. I think that's that's changing. I don't think anybody's going to be able to just um, rock up places. Uh, in... oh, except for Mario's, who don't take bookings. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, they still don't. Take Interesting. Bookings. Okay, because most restaurants now will basically require you to book um, mm-hmm. and possibly to pay beforehand as well. So, oh really? Yeah, okay. or at least pay a, pay a sizable non-refundable deposit. So oh, well, that's a good idea. Up, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, fully support. Yeah, that's a good that. idea. And I think because um, of those problems that they had with people booking yeah. three or four restaurants in a row well, in, a, in a time I, and only going to one. Just as we wrap here, I'll just tell you a terrible <laughs> story that that my wife shared with me. That um, a, ve- a restaurant she knows, the owner of uh, this restaurant, very nice little um, casual Israeli restaurant. Um, first night they were reopened. Some guy had booked uh, and then didn't turn up and then in a, an email exchange afterwards explained to the owner of the restaurant that uh, he and his partner turned up, had a look, went, oh, it's too casual. We wanted our first night out to be something special. So they just left. They went somewhere Ooh. else. That is just such poor form. Oh. That is such poor form. Oh, I mean, man, these places is... have got oh, so no. little capacity. Yes. They've done it so very, very hard. To, mm. to make a booking and not mm. turn up is just appalling, just appalling. And, so and to I do say, that, and, well, to do that to Yotam Otolenghi, <laughs> I think, oh, he's the nicest man, he's the such nicest a lovely guy. man, great <sighs> food. You've got to like pomegranate though, you know, really. <laughs> mm. we've, got, we've got a few of his books here, don't worry. Oh, well, you'd, hardly be, you'd hardly be an inner city hipster if you didn't. <laughs> That's it from the Clappers. We hope you've enjoyed the show. As always, you can find us on Facebook. Jump in, make comments, join, sign up, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, it's farewell. Goodbye. And, you know, I'm at my best at the start of the week. This is me at my (laughs) – if we were doing this on Thursday. Oh, Oh, be a shambles. (sighs) 